Hello and welcome to the Rugby Robcast, the first in a new series of hopefully amazing, potentially dreadful, most likely somewhere in the middle podcast episodes. Um, so I'm sure most of you listening will have seen at least a little bit of the work on the Rugby Scribbler that I do. So the idea is just to basically chuck this into something you can listen to instead. Um, obviously, just me droning on about rugby would probably get a bit boring. Um, so I have, in fact, asked a good friend along, um, my longtime second row partner and Nelsian Backwell's ninth highest try scoring second row in the 2014 season, Rob Gould. Rob, how Hello. you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. And I'll have you know that I scored at least two tries in my six years at Nelsian Backwell. So Is that it? I think it might be more than you, but anyway, we, let's not let's not semantics, hey? Let's not even concentrate on it. Let's not concentrate on it. But we were yeah, we, rugby, whatever. The the most important thing is we had a f- good team and we we had a we had a fun few years playing our team. So I mean, good teams don't lose by a hundred points, Rob. We had a nice team and we had fun playing over those years. We were good friends. <laughs> We were very good friends, and to be fair, in our final season, we did we did a lot better. We did a lot better. We we learned how to run teams off the pitch in the last ten minutes. Yeah, that, it wasn't all negative. Um, so, are you still playing, Rob? No, no. Um, I mean, I didn't play too much when I left for uni. To be honest, I, I tried to do a little bit, but it was it was kind of hard to to get into alongside all the uni stuff, especially given that in my second year of uni, I did a refereeing course, which. I mean, I don't think it was a surprise to any of our team that I was the one that, that took up the whistle in the end. The um, massive given, nerd. Well, given you guys having absolutely no idea what the law was at any point and, <laughs> and, and me kind of having to carry the team in that respect. But yeah. Well, um, we just adapted it to our style of play. I, I don't think... That, I, think that, I think there are people in our team who still don't know what the offside rules in terms of oh, just being in front of the kicker. They just... Uh, anyway. Details, I'm now, details. I'm now uh, a qualified referee, believe it or not. Um, and That's although terrifying. it has been a quiet couple of years um, um, for, for, the, for the referee and kind of especially the last nine months. Did you um, say a quiet couple of years? Because that brings us into a nice of bit years. of trivia. <laughs> a quiet couple of years. Um, okay. Hopefully I can, uh, I'm just going to ignore you. Hopefully I can... <laughs> Bring some of the things I've learned as a referee, and, and and it might be a bit useful to to yourself, and also hopefully some of the listeners as well. Yeah, hopefully so. Well, we're the regulars. You've got you know me, and you've now met Rob Gould. Um, obviously, though, we can't do it on our own. Like we did mention, we have been known to lose games quite considerably. So we thought we'd call in the help of some people who somewhat know what's actually going on. Um, so we've got six um, great guests lined up over the next couple of weeks. Um, but joining us this week as our first ever guest on the Rugby Robcast is Wales Under 20 and Dragons winger Ashton Hewitt. Ashton, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being our first guest. Neither of us really know what we're doing, so we like to have someone on who sort of knows a little bit about the game. Um, so the first thing we want to talk about then is Dragons. You guys have just come out of was it a two-week isolation? Yeah, we um, unfortunately we had a couple of cases, um, some some uh, positive tests that came back, 
uh, after a testing period. So uh, I think it was Public Health Wales shut us down for the two weeks to, just to make sure that um, it was contained and it didn't spread any further. And, um, yeah, we, we've just recently come out of that. So um, yeah, we just started prepping for, for Treviso now uh, for Sunday. How, uh, as players, as a squad, how do you deal with that being told that you're going to be shut down? I mean, we've all seen videos of sort of Argentina prepping for that All Blacks game over the year. Uh, do you have similar things, sort of training sessions on Zoom from your house? or? Yeah, we, we try and uh, make sure we keep in touch over the, over the lockdown period. Uh, sort of the same way we did when we were in the thicker lockdown before. Um, so there wasn't anything too new. You know, it was some familiar stuff. Uh, just some information and even even just getting together having a chat in groups and stuff like that you know some team bonding pieces um, but just to make sure that the communication kept going and you know we weren't completely dropping off um, everything so um, it was annoying because you know you lose all momentum that you gained over over the weeks um, you know from playing week in week out and then all of a sudden, you can't even leave your house to train. You can't go for a run or anything. So the biggest frustration really is, you know, you, you feel like you've, you know, you lose a little bit of what you've worked so hard to gain um, in terms of like your physical fitness, etc. Um, you know, luckily, um, we, we got a bit of time before the Treviso game to get our back up. So it's not too bad. I wasn't say you've been in since sort of the end of, tail end of last week, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we managed to get in and get a couple of days done on the, the back end of last week. Um, we had another round of tests. Everyone was sweet to go. So yeah, we were allowed to crack on. So um, just got us back moving and whatever to make sure we, you know, minimise injury risk and whatnot. But, you know, we, we cracked on properly now this week. Yeah, nice. How's, how's the training? Um, is it is it different to what, what it would have been before? I guess you've got a shorter window of preparation after maybe two weeks off um a bit more intensity to to, to the build-up to the game um i think i think we're just i think we're just going to play things normal um as it was before the you know we had to go into isolation i think they're weary about you know hammering us too hard after doing absolutely nothing for two weeks you know because then you might risk injury um but then on the other hand you don't want to do too little so you're not physically prepped so um you know, the S&C, the coaches, they're all keeping that in mind, and um, it's just finding that balance, really. So it's, it's more of a it's more of a usual week, really, and hopefully we haven't lost too much uh, from the locker over the uh, over the two down weeks. But um, but yeah, I'm sure we'll be all right. I was just going to mention then that you've met you've already said about momentum. Obviously, it, it does feel like a bit of a, a killer on the momentum for you. Does it change the way that you prepare for the season as a whole? Because, like, for example, you were due to play Glasgow. And traditionally, in, in these international periods, obviously, they put out a different side. You're now planning to play them at Christmas when potentially they'll have more of their Scotland internationals back. Uh, do you think that will in any way change the way that you prepare for certain games, prioritise fixtures? Or is it just not really something you can think too much about I think it's something you don't you don't really think about obviously you're aware of when you know the international windows are um, you know and sometimes that may you know change expectations or opportunities you know going into a game 
But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you aim to win every game you play. And I don't think preparation's any different, really, um, you know, unless it's in terms of, you know, specific personnel and, you know, players or whatever it may be. But in terms of the bigger picture, I don't think, you know, not a lot changes in terms of prepping for a team. You just, you know, you analyse that team. Uh, try and identify their weaknesses and, you know, go out there to do the job. So, um, not not a huge difference, no. But like you said, we, you know, we may have more of an advantage over other teams, you know, than, than some other teams might, you know, with the number of internationals that other teams lose compared to us. So, um, you know, it may, it may have some impact on, you know, chances um, and opportunities to win games, but preparation still the same. And kind of looking back then and kind of reflecting over the season you've had so far, um, I mean, other Rob uh, is, is a lot more into, into the details of squads than me, but he, he assures me this is one of the best kind of Dragon squads that, that we've really seen. Um, is, is there a reason you don't think that maybe has been reflected in the results yet? Um, yeah, we, we've, we've had tough games to start the season. Leinster and Ulster are rolling over everyone at the minute, you know, and, you know, not marginally either, you know, they're, they're steamrolling everyone they come across. Um, we, we, you know, we, we've had some difficult games. We, we had a, you know, we had a decent win against Zebra, um, you know, and, and rightfully so. Um, we would expect to win that game every time. And, you know, we, we even felt that we missed some opportunities, um, you know, Going away to to Leinster and Ulster, you know, we 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 were disappointed with our performances, of course, um, and we felt that we could have done better. And um, I think I think you're right. We we are in the best place we've been as a region. Um, but yeah, I think you have to take into account the teams that we've started off the season playing. Um, you know, and hopefully we can we can start turning some results now going forward. Yeah, I mean, Leinster and Ulster, like you say, have just absolutely torn through everyone. Um, I mean, so I've been having this kind of, I guess, this internal battle as a fan because there's a lot of negativity around the Pro 14 at times. And a lot of the time, I think that's unfounded. Um, When I think of Leinster, I'm really torn between it because I think their absolute dominance of the league, on one hand, I think it shows a really good side of the pro 14 that there's you know there's a really class team with an excellent um academy system and everything like that on the other hand i look at it and i think it potentially looks bad on the league that we have a team that, it, that is able to dominate that much i mean i guess it kind of happens to an extent with saracens in england as well um i mean for teams playing up going up against people like leinster do you look at that as kind of a big opportunity in awe or do you, you know, do you think that it's at times the size of their budget, the size of their academy, that it is perhaps an unlevel playing field? That, that's what a lot of people say online. I'm, I'm not saying that's my view. Um, <laughs> just like interesting hearing. You're me. not claiming that view, are you? No, definitely not. <laughs> no. You know, every, every team's different, you know, and I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of it myself in terms of like governance and, and all of that, you know, by, by different unions. But um, if you look at all the Irish provinces, you know, that, you know, they've, they've been doing pretty well over the years. It's not just, uh, it's not just Leinster. So, um, 
like you said, they're, they're very strong and, you know, their budgets and, and whatever um, it may be. But, you know, all, all we can do in Wales really is try and um, use the likes of Leinster, you know, Munster, Ulster, um, use them as a sort of target, you know, because like I said, we go into these games, um, you know, eager to win and, and expecting to win these games. We go into these games thinking we know how to beat them. Um, and often we do, they just make it so hard to execute it. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it, I think more it shows a good side of the Pro 14 rather than, than the negative side that teams aren't able to keep up because, you know, there's, there's that standard there then, that, you know, there's, there's no chance of, there shouldn't be any way of dropping from that standard, you know. So hopefully, you know, everyone's working to beat those top sides, you know, your Leinsters and your Munsters. So, um, if any, if anything, it's just making you know other teams strive to to compete with them, which is only good for the league, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, that's that's the opinion I tend to go with. I think it's positive to have that my high one. benchmark. <laughs> my one. <laughs> just yeah. Oh, tell you what, some of the messages. Play, get. play it safe, Rob. Play it safe. Welsh rugby Twitter is an interesting place. Um, just yeah. so we're we're going to move on to looking at the internationals. Um, now I just wanted to ask personally about your Wales aspirations. I, I was saying to Rob when we're sort of preparing for this. Um, personally, I was quite surprised that you weren't named in the squad. Um, I was also saying there's incredibly competitive back three for Wales right now. Even during this pe- period, I was saying like, I think Ryan Combe is playing really well for Scarlets. Um, so I just wanted to know, have you had any discussions with the Wales team? And if you have, uh, are there any sort of particular points of your game that they've told you to work on? Um, I, I uh, not too recently. I, I haven't had conversations um, with the with the Welsh management. Um, so I, I I think as far as uh, selection goes for me, you know, I think it's a bit about um, you know staying fit for a prolonged period of time, and then you know keeping that consistency in in my game and my performances. You know, which personally I feel like I'm doing at the minute. Um, or before we were locked down anyway, at least. Um, so now I, I haven't heard from them this, this time around for selection. Um, you know, but I've, I've always said it, it's, it's out of my control, you know. I think um, if, if I do the best I can and do my job for the Dragons, you know, then, you know, the rest of it is out of my control. I can only control what I can and, you know, hopefully what I do is, is good enough to give me a, you know, a foot in the door in the future. But, you know, only time will tell and, and we'll see. Yeah, like you said, there's only so much you can do. Bit of a shame that the lockdown came when it did as well, nipping the momentum. But hopefully you can build that back. Um, yeah. So talking about the internationals, um, Wales, been in a bit of a rut recently. How important do you think that win, you know, let, let's be honest, it wasn't the prettiest of things, an 18-0 win against Georgia in Clenesley. Um Yeah, I mean, what do you make of that result? Um, definitely, it was definitely an important win. Um, I think an important win for, for Wales and the national team as a whole, but, you know, it, it gave the opportunity to... Um, you know, play some of the new caps, um, you know, that if it was straight into England, may otherwise not have had an opportunity. So, 
Um, a lot of boys had opportunities and coming away with the win, uh, which is good. Um, obviously, it's, it's good for confidence because, you know, they, they played some they played some decent rugby, you know. Um, Rhys Samet managed, you know, to get a try, which is, which is great for him. I'll fill him with confidence now. Um, yeah, so, you know, the result, it, it was an important one. I, I think it was, it was a must win, really. Um, you know, so there's no surprises, but it's, it's good and it was needed. Is there anything in particular you think caused um, kind of this, this maybe lull in performance that we've seen, seen before, that kind of six, six losses on the trot? I think me, me and Rob were discussing earlier, looking at the stats, they could kind of, we, we feel that there's maybe a, a lack of um, excitement in, in the attack and maybe a little, little bit lack of creativity. Looking at the Georgia game, there was a lot of possession. There was a lot of territory, but kind of only converted into two tries, even in that instance. Um, do, do you kind of, do you have any idea why that might be or, or what, what Wales are working on to kind of move that forward? Yeah, I, I, I think you have to be wary. I think we're, they're, they're probably still in a you know, transitional period with PVAC coming in. Um, when he first came in, I think there was the Barbars game, um, you know, when he made clear that he wanted to play um, expansive, attacking rugby, um, you know, quick. And we saw it with, um, with how Scarlett's won the league. You know, I think that's what he wanted to, to implement, um, you know, and bring in a very different game to what Gats um, sort of put forward for all those years. So, Welsh rugby hasn't had that shake-up in 10 years, do you know what I mean? So uh, I think a lot of stuff is, is new for a lot of people. It'll be, it'll be quite new for, you know, the, the Welsh boys that have been there for a long time. You know, you're building relationships. You know, I'm not sure what's going on with, with backroom staff or whatever it was, but, you know, Byron leaving just before, um, you know, a test period. And, you know, so it, it seems like there's, there's, there's a few things going on that could affect you know, a, a perfect transition. I'm not, um, I don't think I'm experienced enough with different clubs and different management to, to sort of comment on it all, to be honest with you. But, you know, it's, it's an international, you know, an, uh, a national side changing the, the whole coaching setup. You know, you, you've got all the backroom staff and, you know, a different playing philosophy. So if it was a 100% smooth transition, you know, I'd, I'd probably be very surprised. But, Hopefully, you know, it starts to turn around sooner rather than later and George is a start. So I'm going to ask you both a question. The game against England, England-Wales is always, always a huge game. With the team selection from the games we've had, personally, I think a number of guys put their hands up from the Georgia game. Like I thought Wainwright had a really good game. I thought Sheedy ran it well at 10, um, just to name sort of a few. My question is, do you bring those guys in to such a big game like England, give them an opportunity, reward them for their form against Georgia? Um, or do you stick with the team that you've been building and trying to get your systems through? So I'm going to start with you, Rob. See, what, yeah, what do you think? I mean, from purely from a fan point of view, I want to see the best players out on that pitch. And, I, and, and although I'm an Englishman, um, I want to see England be put to a really good game. You know, I'd rather see I'd rather see a really good game of rugby on the weekend um, than than see England absolutely slaughter Wales, which is uh, something you won't hear many Englishmen say. Mm. So you know, I think I think it's it's up to the management to make that judgment. But I would say, I mean, you and me talked about Sheedy beforehand. Every single kind of attacking play that looked threatening, Sheedy was involved in. 
you know, and, and, and kind of, and was also kind of a spark that, that caused a couple of those. Um, and at a time when there haven't been many of those for Wales, um, you know, maybe, maybe he won't start, but yeah, I, I hope, I hope that he, he gets a game on the weekend because he was one of the more exciting players for me this weekend. So you're rewarding form. Aston, how do you see it? I didn't say that exactly, but go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, th- I think it depends how Wales want to want to go up, want to go at England, because like you said, you know, Sheedy was involved in, in more or less every threatening instance, and that's usually the same with Bristol. He's always pulling the strings, you know, and, and getting them on the front foot and, and picking off holes. Um, you know, but then you look at... Um, you know, biggest kicking game, you know, often when he puts the ball up in the air, he's, you know, you're thinking he's going to get it back. And, you know, that, that kicking battle, that territory and, and that experience of, of controlling these big games, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough decision, you know. Do you, do you pick the, um, you know, do you, do you pick the new, the, the new guy who, um, you know, could offer something a bit different. He's, he's probably a bit less predictable. Um, or, or do you stick with what you know? You know, I just, it's, it's I, not my call to make, and I don't want to make one. But you know, it's, yeah, it's a tough one. That a tough one. I, but, the, the thing I'd say is like, like Wainwright and stuff like that. You know, Aaron Wainwright. He's he's played in all of these big games now. You know, he's he's proved himself. You know, time and time again. So. Um, obviously, it's a huge game, but it's, it's, it's nothing. I think someone like uh, like Aaron Wainwright, he's, he's not. Um, it's, it's not such a big question mark with him, you know, whether whether he could cope with a game of this uh, magnitude. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, whatever happens, if the result doesn't go the right way, there's there's always going to be those questions asked at the end. But I think, I mean, from he- hearing both your responses, that that's kind of where it is. We're at the start of a World Cup cycle. We're at the start of a new squad under PVAC. So actually, he can go either way and justify it because, you know, if, if there's any time to test the team, it's, it's going to be four years before a World Cup, not one or two. I think this 100%. weekend we might see Wales' strategy for the next... Well, it, it, we're going we're gonna to see, you know, are they, are they preparing for the rest of the Autumn Nations? Are they preparing for the Six Nations? Or, you know, are they, are they really getting some guys in and looking to build a team for 2023? Um, you can see the intent from the Georgia game that they're definitely looking to build a big squad, you know, and, and, and have lots of people who can feed into that. Um, but, yeah, I think this weekend we'll, we'll find out what's, what's the intent. Is it, is it we're expecting to be uh, back to top world-class team early next year or is it kind of maybe more of a long-term strategy yeah yeah big weekend definitely um so we're going to move on to the final topic we wanted to talk about um i mean ashton i think if anyone follows you on twitter as i'm sure a lot of the people listening will do um they're going to know that you're obviously very active advocate for the black lives matter movement um we want to talk a little bit about uh, first for context, the Katie Hopkins saga, if you like. Um, now, I think people have read about it online and things, but probably best comes uh, from yourself if you want to tell us a little bit about what happened and the reaction online and, and everything like that. Yeah, well, she's a, she's a bit of a common name, isn't she? So everyone, I think, on Twitter... Sadly um, so. Yeah, knows, knows of Katie Hopkins and, and her antics, so... Um, I don't follow her. Um, 
I either, you know, I I see people complaining about her tweets and stuff like that. So that's the only time and reason I come across her. And I think it was it was when Marcus Rashford first uh, campaigned, um, you know, and trying to convince the government to to sort out the um, the the school meals over the holidays and half term and. Uh, she just she just said some just some horrible stuff that really didn't need to be said um and and it definitely didn't need to be said the way that that she that she said it so um i tweeted um saying katie hopkins is is fucking toxic Sorry if I can't swear on it. We can add a beat player. We can add a beat player. I don't know what podcast we're on, but I don't think anyone's um, going to disagree with you, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I said that because I was I was really annoyed with with what she said, um, you know, about Marcus and you know about families and kids that are struggling in the country, um, and I I didn't tag her in it because I didn't want you know I didn't want her fans and whoever um, to be going at me, but it turns out that she actually quote tweeted what I said and I can't remember exactly what the tweet was but um it said am I question mark um I hope he's hung like a baboon or something like that. Jesus and as soon as and as as soon as she quoted me in the thing, uh to be fair of um you know my followers weren't happy to say the least. So she got hammered with reports and bad her fans hammering me. Um and it was it was just a bit all mental to be honest, but I ignored it then. And then she was kicked off Twitter, and then Twitter reveal you know sort of revealed the tweet that that got her kicked off, um, you know. And it was, it was the one to me. And I woke up one morning and it was in a group chat that I'm in, and someone said, "Ashley, it was actually you who got her off Twitter." So, um, Public service at its finest there. <laughs> yeah, a few, I've, I've been offered a few beers, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, definitely deserved. I, I think, uh, but that, that was that, really. It's, it's, it's nothing major, but it's, it's, it's one less, uh, you know, horrible view off Twitter, I suppose. But, I mean, that's not all you've done with regard to kind of these things on, on Twitter. I think you, you, you've been no. a fantastic advocate for for um the black lives matter campaign um but also kind of specifically maybe maybe black welsh rugby players um of which maybe the, a lot of young people don't have uh don't have the idols that they they maybe want kind of what what was it like for you growing up in in wales and, and playing rugby um so for, it, it was it was quite a, a weird experience for me because um i grew up in a city in newport um you know, very diverse, uh, multicultural. Um, so there wasn't a you know a great amount of racism where I lived and grew up. Um, but the majority of my rugby was played in the valleys, where there's a lot less diversity. Um, and and you know, unfortunately, they're, they're the places that I experienced most of my you know racist encounters. Um, and and that's going back as a child. You know, I'm doing it for fun. Um, you know, on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. Um, so used to get, you know, I just used to be really angry and really emotional, and you know, I used to fight a lot about it. I used to get upset about it. Um, you know, for a long time, I didn't really understand it. Um, you know, and I've had instances of racism, you know, right through my career. Um, 
you know, not frequent, uh, thankfully, but, you know, it, it, it still exists. Um, so it's, it's just really important for me, like you said, with, with the, you know, there's not a huge number of role models and that's down to, you know, the history of the game. And I, I thought I just wanted to give the message that I, you know, I wanted somebody to take account for, um, for the history and how it's influenced, you know, how things are today, because, you know, you're not seeing all different, uh, you know, ethnic minorities engaging with the game in, in Wales. Um, you know, the numbers are low, whether it's a player or they want to be a coach or whatever it may be, you know, the numbers are low. Um, you know, and it's something that needs to be addressed uh, to, to sort of improve. So that was do my you, main thing, really. Do you think that kind of uh, racism in within the rugby spheres is, is a part of that? Or do you think there's potentially more structural issues that, that might lead to those kind of situations? Um, well, I think traditionally, um, you know, traditionally when, you know, racism was more acceptable, if you like, and more um, prevalent throughout the whole of society, um, rugby is just an institution and it would have, you know, it, it held the same values as, as the rest of society, you know, that's just, that's just the way it goes. So. You know, that history um, of racism, quite frankly, has influenced today. Now, I'm not saying that they're, you know, structurally racist now. Would they not pick a player because they're black? No, I'm not saying that. But at a point in time, that was the case. Hmm. And, you know, inevitably that's going to impact, you know, the, the number of black or ethnic, you know, people who are involved in the game now at, at any levels, you know. So nobody's progressed through the game to become, you know, to, to come on the board of any, you know, Welsh club or the WIU itself or, you know, all of these major roles, you know, within rugby and rugby teams. Um, so, so it's the history around it, really. And, you know, it's just, it's just encouraging and engaging um, and also educating because there is there, there's still racism. There's still racist people anywhere you go. Mm. Um, you know, and a lot of that um, will be through ignorance and lack of understanding over malice, if you if you like, and that's been my experience. Um, so another part is educating everyone involved in rugby, um, you know, to make sure that people who engage in the game don't, you know, intentionally or unintentionally feel, um, you know, isolated or uh, marginalised you know, by, you know, teammates or whoever, because, you know, they don't have an understanding on these issues. So um, I think education is really the main factor. Was there an element of that then sort of recently when, when everything came to the fore in the Dragons camp? Like, um, obviously we've seen you kind of educating the wider public through Twitter. Um, and, you know, we're not looking for you to sort of name anything here but did you, were there discussions that you had to have within the professional environment um to to educate yeah, people on that? yeah yeah i i um you know I, I will throughout my career I've, I've had you know different conversations with different people on you know different levels and you know different levels of severity and you know the way the conversations were going but um 
recently everyone's been amazing to be honest with you you know that's from um you know the chairman to dean ryan to um our general uh manager um and all the boys you know i had some of the boys calling me texting me um you know with support and looking to um understand things better and and they were very shocked by some of my experiences and they didn't really think it was much of an issue um so there's been there's been a huge amount of positivity um you know especially at the dragons that i've witnessed firsthand um to come off off the back of you know the issue of of racism in society being you know like you said at the forefront at the moment me and me and rob talk quite a lot about how rugby is sometimes lauded as uh as having the greatest morals of all the sports especially in the uk and kind of thinking of ourselves as, as beyond um as beyond other sports in terms of uh, in terms of how we treat each other and the respect for each other i'm sure um as you've discussed you know there's, there's still issues going on in the game is there kind of anything that you can say that you would like to see change in rugby um to, to kind of facilitate uh, a more equal sport I'll say that at any level as well not just talking about the professional environment yeah so you know in, engaging and reaching out you know at a community level to, to all different communities and you know getting really stuck in wherever you can you know really engaging and trying um, you know getting people to, to try the game for a start because First things first, football is more of a popular game, especially in the inner cities anyway, you know. So, um, you know, it, it might be doubly, you know, hard to, you know, get kids involved. But I think engagement's a massive one. Um, I think education is another one because a lot of the time, you know, at grassroots levels, you're dealing with kids and there are racist incidents that happen with these kids and is the education happening at that level um you know to sort of prevent it in the future are the community officers um you know and the community coaches um are they equipped are they trained do they know how to deal with these issues appropriately you know and effectively um to really influence how these kids think uh, when it comes to these issues so i think that's another hugely important one. Um, I also think um, discipline as well. Um, there's been instances in the past where there's been racist incidents. Um, I think one of the lower leagues in Wales, and you know, for me, number one, the ban, you know, didn't reflect it. You know, you, you could get longer for speaking to the ref wrong, you know, it, it was, it was really quite, um, you know, I was really disappointed with that. It, it didn't, you know, reflect um, any sort of attitude that was completely against racism and made it completely unacceptable, you know. So that was a disappointment. So I think appropriate, you know, discipline needs to be, um, you know, needs to be considered. But as well as that, like, you know, as, as well as kids, um, adults need to be educated as well, you know, if, if if you've been caught up in a racist incident, that person needs educating on why what you said is, is you know, so wrong and the impacts that that has and, and there's an opportunity to educate an individual who has a certain set of views 
you know, immediately. So that's that's another one. So um, it's, it's similar themes right throughout, really, is, is trying to engage with people and educate people no matter, you know, their age or who they are, where they are. Um, you know, the, the better understanding people have on these issues, um, you know, the less the less likely they are to, you know, hold hold racist views, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things you've mentioned there, well, the main running theme really is is the education. And like you say, that I think a lot of the time people don't necessarily realise, you know, I've seen it online, people saying that racism, you know, doesn't exist in the UK because because they're comparing it to the United States and I it, a lot of it is is ignorance um an interesting point uh, rob i wanted to ask you you obviously it's lower level you've done referee training and we're just yeah ashton mentioned the length of ban given for um like racial incidents is there as, as a referee at any point were you given any guidance on how to deal with those situations or relevant sort of bans that should be in place for that? So what, firstly, you've got to remember that community level refereeing, the, the, the level two course is a, is a two day kind of six hour per day course with a lot of people who've never picked up a whistle before, or, you know, that they, it's very, very basic stuff. And I think there wouldn't be a person in that room who wouldn't deal with racism with, you know, we, we'd all deal with that with the red card. Um, what happens beyond there? is is little up to the referee and i think i would really hope that it was clamped down on very 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 hard um but there isn't always the transparency at the lower levels with regard to kind of red cards and the like and you hear some horror stories in rugby also football officiating as well where you know really bad events have happened and maybe they haven't been clamped down as hard as as hard as the people would expect them to and hope them to so i think ashton's right in that we kind of we need to hope that the, the people at the top and the people who are who are running things and making decisions i think we probably need their buy-in probably more than anyone else to to make the biggest difference because you know at the end of the day they're the ones setting the rules they're the ones setting the tempo for, for how for how people are going to act so definitely definitely i think that's pretty much everything we had time for and written down today so um yeah i mean ashton thank you again so much for for coming on and talking to us rob <laughs> yeah thanks ashton it's been really great having you on and uh, and it's been great listening to uh some of the uh, the inside information that you that you can bring us because uh we'd have had no chance on our own <laughs> no worries uh, yeah wish you the best of luck in the future with the uh, with your podcast so that was Ashton Hewitt, a pretty excellent first guest for us, if I may say so myself. Um, Rob, enjoy the first Rugby Robcast. Yeah, it's been great. Um, Ashton was a fantastic guest. I'm looking forward to, to who you've got for next week lined up. Yeah, so as we mentioned at the start, we do have uh, about six more guests at least lined up. So um, keep your eyes on the social media streams at Rugby Scribbler on Twitter, the Rugby Scribbler on Facebook, and we will release more information as we get it on the following podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Check.